Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. We're counted down. You realize we're going to have football next weekend? Had high school football last night, and that opened up with Corner Canyon beating Orem. That's, uh, Orem was the 4A champ last year. They moved up to 5A. Corner Canyon was the 5A champ last year. They moved up to 6A. So two programs that are usually pretty good. Corner Canyon... Broke up in a 14-14 tie, 130-14. to So when PK gets in here, I'm assuming he'll be unbearable, what with his, you know, direct ties to the Corner Canyon Chargers and their greatness. His wife teaches there. Tonight, full, uh, full schedule of games across the state. There'll be dozens and dozens of teams kicking off. Hot summer weather, man. It is going to be hot. 90s in Salt Lake, 100s down in southern Utah. So, you know. Welcome to high school football in August. Then the next weekend, college football starts. It's week zero. And Hawaii's playing Arizona. It's kind of a game with Mountain West uh, Mountain West and uh, Pac-12 implications. So we can watch that. And then the big game nationally is Miami and Florida. And natural rivals, in-state rivals, but they, don't, they only play intermittently. Um, it comes down to really what we see here with Utah and BYU and Utah State. And it's what happens with Miami and Florida and Florida State. You, you got Florida in the SEC playing eight games every year. You got them playing Florida State for a ninth game, and they don't want to play Miami. <laughs> they just don't want to make their schedule tougher, and they want to have more flexibility. They want to have more home games, and they want to play more nobodies and beat up on them. But every once in a while, they do play Miami, and this is one of those times. So it's a little different for the Utes because they're playing nine conference games and BYU for 10. So Utah State's one of the two games, whereas with Florida, Miami's one of three. So it's a little easier to play there. Honestly, I think the Utes should be playing the Aggies here, at least intermittently. Probably not every year because that would be 11 games locked in. But, man, if you're going to play Northern Illinois and you're going to play Wyoming, what are you doing? I mean, at some point, I know coaches want to make it easy and they want to win, they want teachable moments, but Nick Saban finally came around on this. You know, you got to play games that are interesting. You're asking fans to give up a lot of time and you're asking them to spend a lot of money. And you've made the scheduling inconvenient because you're chasing TV dollars. And I get that, but it makes it inconvenient. You know, college basketball at its height in this market was playing every Thursday and every Saturday. And BYU and Utah were travel partners, and they played travel partners. And you knew Wyoming and CSWU were coming in. You knew that this was the week, um, you know, that you'd face New Mexico and Air Force. Or this is the week you'd face San Diego State and UNLV, whoever. You know, depending on how the conference was constructed. And when they started going to the big Mondays, all of that started falling apart. It was an inconvenient time for fans. They came in because the team was really good. But it just started eating away. And then you got the NBA-type schedule, the Pac-12s. You play on Thursday, except when you play on Wednesday. And you play on Saturday, except when you play on Sunday. And you play on Saturday night, except when you play on Saturday afternoon. And pretty soon, people can't keep track. And they're busy, and they're scheduled, and they can't make all the games. And uh, it's kind of what we're seeing with football. And so, okay, great. You can give people Northern Illinois and Wyoming. And, you know, when the Utes are winning and the Pac-12 is new and exciting, okay, people show up. But you're going to raise the ticket prices again. You're going to raise them again. You're going to raise them again. And you're going to play at 8.30 unless you play at 10 a.m. And maybe Kyle retires and maybe the team hits a speed bump. Maybe they keep it going. But Majerus retired and they didn't keep it going. And Majerus left. 0304. Well, he really wasn't even there for the end of that season, but he started that season. And from that point on, the Utes have been to four 
NCAA tournaments in 15 years. They've missed 11 times. So it seems like when it's going well, it's going to go well forever. But then it doesn't. So play the games that are interesting. Play the, And I get and I want to play the Aggies all the time. I get why they scheduled home and homes with San Jose State, Fresno State, and San Diego State. Play some Mountain West teams. Play where you recruit. Up your profile there a little bit. I got it. And it doesn't mean the San Jose State game is the most interesting thing ever because it wasn't. But, hey, you got to play somewhere. And I get why they're going to Texas. You know, they want to recruit there, and they got Baylor on the schedule. And if they can get some other Texas teams on the schedule, you know, lower end or higher end, whatever. There's a, there's a mix of teams available down there in Texas. Um, you know, I get it. Anyway, so college football next weekend. That'll be week zero. So this is your last weekend without college football. And then it kicks off with a couple games, and then it's up and rolling. And it's go time. Oh, we had some NFL preseason games last night. Um, a few interesting things. Kyler Murray, number one pick, uh, had a nightmare. Three for eight. Uh, for Man, he had 44 yards in the opener and didn't even have that many in this one. It was uh, got tackled, got sacked for a safety. That was... That was no good, but hey, the Raiders blitzed him, and you know his. I've always said the same. If you look at highlights of him playing for Oklahoma last year, he had the best protection. He didn't just have a clean pocket; he had a gigantic pocket. And you know, thrown out of that, I mean, turns into a seven-on-seven drill, and you know, you're gonna you're gonna look better at that point. I mean, there's there's no way around it. You know, you are you are gonna look better. So. Anyway, there you go. The, uh, the Raiders um, made him look uh, ordinary. Three for eight for 12 yards and, and a safety. So not much, not much out of him there. Uh, Gardner, Min- Gardner Minshew, the former Washington State quarterback, is in Jacksonville now. There's a team that's usually off the radar in this part of the country. Uh, but he had a decent preseason game. He's competing to be the backup there. That was one of the other things that, that caught my eye there in the, uh, in the opener. Or in the, I guess it's not the opener. It's the second preseason game uh, for those NFL teams. All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk some college football. You're going to hear from Kalani Sataki. You're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham. We will do that next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, the Zone. So the official announcement's out. It's not a surprise. This is reported, you know, writers, sources. The ACC is the new partner for the Holiday Bowl. Man, the Holiday Bowl's really slipped. It has really slipped. Utah made their first trip down there. It was great to go to San Diego and, you know, go somewhere different because obviously the Utes have been to a few Vegas Bowls and they've been to San Francisco for that bowl game a couple times, once in the Mountain West era and then again in the Pac-12 era. And then they were there for the championship games. They didn't really need to go back to San Francisco. And you've done the Vegas thing and they've done the Sun Bowl, although it's been a while now. So getting San Diego was a good deal, but, you know, the stadium was, I don't know, half-ish full maybe two-thirds full if you're being generous. I don't really think it was quite that big a crowd. But now with the ACC, man, 
That is going to be a long, long way to travel. You know, the Big Ten deal was pretty good. Now, Northwestern is a big state university. It's a private school as part of the smaller crowd. Some of those big state universities just have massive, massive fan bases. And they know they're going every year, and the weather's terrible, and they know they're going bowling somewhere, Florida, Texas, California. So people, you know, plan their vacations, save the money, have the time off and all of that. Uh, Northwestern is not, not quite the same deal as, you know, getting to Wisconsin or Michigan State or whatever. Um, but now the ACC, wow, further to come, more basketball schools than football schools. I mean, BC literally would have one of the longest trips in the country if they were the team that came. And then if you get teams from the southern end, well, the weather's pretty good, so there isn't quite the urgency or need to travel. You know, BC, Syracuse, Pitt, okay, I can see those teams maybe sending some people. Man, that's a long way to go. But, hey, you got the leverage you got, and now let's see ACC and the Pac-12. and Man, if there's any leagues that feel like they're 4 or 5 in the Power 5, it's the ACC and the, and the Pac-12. They really do feel like 4 and 5. Big 12 feels like 3, and the SEC and the Big 10 are driving the bus. That's, that's how it feels. Anyway, so that's the deal is the Holiday Bowl uh, realigns there. And there'll be, uh, you know, upgraded Vegas. There'll be an SEC opponent there, so that's good. And a uh, new bowl game in L.A. in the stadium that the Rams owner is building. The Rams and Chargers are going to play in. So there'll be some other options, plus the usuals. You know, still a chance to go to San Francisco or El Paso and the granddaddy of them all. All right, but that's a long way down the road. We're uh, 13 days away now from BYU and Utah. And let's go down to... Provo and listen to BYU coach Kalani Sataki after practice. What's new? Uh, good practice. Yeah, we'll have um, some time off for the guys to recover physically, but mentally we'll still we'll still work on some things. But uh, that was really good practice today. It was a little bit different. Uh, we allowed our it's like basically our player day. We allowed them to run basically the whole day. It was a good opportunity for coaches to get some feedback on on how they teach each other and how they work. And so the. Really, today we took a step back and allowed the players to run the whole show, and from meetings to practice tempo to the to what drills they want to run, everything was done by them today, and I was really impressed with them. So, I had a really good day of practice, and uh, I think they had a lot of ownership in it, and, and I, th- I think it's going to be a huge step for us in our program going into the next next phase, which is getting ready for the Utah game. Why is that important to you to to have that ownership with these guys in that way? I think the best way to learn is intrinsic, you know, so if these guys can um, learn, uh, just take the the uh, initiative to, to teach each other and to learn it themselves, I think that, that goes a, a long way. I think um, I don't really believe in pedestal uh, teaching, and so it's probably one of the least effective ways of teaching is, is to lecture uh, one person, especially if it's me probably, you know, so uh, we're trying to find ways to um, for these guys to learn and, and embrace the concept of learning, and so... Uh, yeah, it's just something that we thought would be really important. We talk about being a player's, a player's program and, and having the team belong to the players. And uh, what better way to show it than give them some autonomy and some, some ownership. And I thought they did an amazing job. And I have to commend the coaches for what they did and the preparation that they've done with these young men. And so I just saw a lot of great leadership and a lot of really good mentoring from player to player. And it was a really cool thing for the coaches to take a step back and, and take a look at it and, and evaluate themselves and see what else they can do in their teaching to help help uh, modify things in the next little bit so that we can take advantage of much learning uh, much as much learning as possible let me clarify you guys weren't actually in the drills they were running right? no we would never run the drills but they did make us catch punts today which i thought was kind of a jerk move by them so i don't know how many more times we're going to be doing this no but yeah they did that to us and i thought we did pretty good i think everyone caught it 
except uh, one bad punt. It was, it was a, a short punt, and I think Coach Lamb called out, uh, made everyone aware to get to scatter from it. So, yeah. Where are you as far as breaking camp and starting game week prep? Um, probably, probably really close. You know, I think that uh, kind of had that in the back of our minds um, going into the prep, and, and um, but there's some things that we need to see on film so our guys can compete. And so we'll, we'll probably, looking at it, get really close to it starting next week. And, and um, we'll also have another opportunity to get really physical and, and probably liven the things up a little bit um, just to get us ready for the game. Which mm-hmm. positions are the most undecided, would you say? Undecided? Like the best position battles. You know. Oh, gosh, uh, all of them. Really? Yeah, no, I, they're all up in the air. I mean, I, I still think that uh, the, the twos are only one play away from getting in, so we have to get them all ready. But... Um, the competition's been going good. I, th- I think the middle linebacker competition's really, really looking nice, and the depth chart at corner is looking good for us too. So, I re- I'm really impressed with the young guys that have stepped up and the newcomers that are coming to the program. So, I think uh, I think that gives us a, a bright future. When will you uh, decide on captains? Um, I don't know yet. We'll, just, we'll see. The, I, I think someone will be out there for the coin toss. I, I won't do it like Mike Leach, where you just, you know, just send someone up for <laughs> whoever won. wins the, uh, <laughs> whoever wins, the, whoever the best at flipping a coin. But no, I just think that we'll just we'll figure it out. I, I think um, it's really difficult because we have a bunch of guys that, that deserve to be captains. But I just like the fact that we have a lot of leaders and guys that are willing to, to help out and lead our guys. What's the latest with uh, Chris Wilcox? Yeah, Chris is we're still working on him. We're still trying to debate on um, what to do with him this year. So I think he's going through some um, rehab and some injury uh, recovery. So we'll see how that progresses between now and the game time. So apply to Troy Warner. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, I mean those guys probably don't need a lot of game reps, but we'd like to get them ready soon uh, if they're going to play in the game. Does the four-game Richard thing change your mindset in that regard where he could come back for the final four games in that regard? Does that change your mindset and when you bring your guy back? Um, I'm just trying to get him ready for the game one, and I'm hoping for that, and then maybe we'll, we'll go look at it, at it from there. Love you, man. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, so, yeah, we're still – I'm worried about that one first, and then we'll figure it out after that. I'm not trying to dodge it. I'm just – yeah. I haven't really, I haven't really, no, so to answer your question, I haven't thought about that, no. <laughs> now I have, thank you. <laughs> Jerk. Something Give me more things to worry about, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that twos can be in at any time. What are you seeing specifically from Jaron? A lot of good things, and, and uh, I like the relationship that he and, and Zach have. You know, uh, them working it with, uh, with a- A-Rod, it's been really nice seeing them progress and get better throughout camp, and I think they're, they're, they're really good for each other, giving each other a lot of tips and working at, and they're competing don't get me wrong but it's really nice that they're able to do it as friends and, and really close close uh, teammates there's BYU coach Kalani Sataki after practice now here's Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham they didn't have media availability yesterday but this is his thoughts after Wednesday's practice Start us off, Dirk. Let's go. Right. You're the senior statesman. Are you the senior statesman here? Yeah. I think yeah, I am. I think you are. Yeah, yeah. No? I'm older than him. But okay. He's been doing this more consecutive. Older than Kurt? So. Yeah, he's a little older. He's older. Okay. Am I older than you, Kurt? I am, right? One year and one day. <laughs> one year and one day. Okay. 16 November 20 for Kurt. Wow. Well, wow. Suck. Yeah. 60, yeah. Huh? Yeah. You don't look. Uh, never mind. Yeah. All right. 
the day over 49. How was practice today? It was good stuff. Uh, some, a little bit of sloppiness towards the end. I think a little bit of fatigue might have uh, jumped on some guys and, and you know some procedure penalties and things that uh, can't show up. I mean, you got you got to be cleaner. But but overall, it was uh, it was a positive day. Uh, got a lot of guys that haven't been able to practice back on the field, and uh, it's uh, you know just another day in fall camp, which we're getting close to the end now. We got uh, what four more days and, and uh, three more days, and we're done. Did you whittle your kicking situation down, down to two? Down to two, yeah. We got uh, Andy Strau and Nels Alstrom from uh, Grossmont. Those are the two guys that are that are uh, still in the mix right now. One lefty, one righty. Will that kicking situation factor into your game planning as far as maybe not go for longer field goals since you don't have a proven product and you have a real good defense and all those types of things? Absolutely, absolutely. The the you know the level of uh, ability that your kicker has and your punter as well that factors in as well. I mean, we had last year we had the best of all worlds. I mean, we had tremendous punter, tremendous place kicker. But yeah, you definitely tailor things and structure things as far as your fourth down decisions and third down for that matter you know because if it's third and 20 from midfield and you know you only need about 10 yards to get in the field goal range as opposed to trying to get the first down so there's a lot of things that go into it but the short version is yeah the kicker's ability has a big impact on what you do on fourth down you ended up with, I think, five grad transfers coming in and five outgoing. Do you, do you, okay. It's in that range. Do you think that volume will continue forever? I don't. I think it'll be slightly less. It's my own feeling. I don't have anything to base that on except for the fact that, like I said a week or two ago, there's still a lot of people in the portal that have nowhere to go, and I think that maybe it'll slow down a little bit. Uh, and maybe you know maybe 20 30 percent less next year. And you had three guys go to Utah State, obviously with Gary. Yeah, it's good for them, opportunity to play. You know, they can get on the field, and you know, you work hard, you want to play, and you want to see, you know, have a chance to participate in games. And and uh, if that's a better avenue for some guys, then then uh, I see that as a positive. Had a BAM update. Is he assimilating well? He is, but you know, there's still some red tape. He's, he's academically he's done. You know, that's all done. But there's still some NC2A red tape that we're going through, and and uh, you know, that got it has to be sorted out and determine you know exactly what his status is. And so it's not uh, a complete green light yet. But the academic piece, like I said, is over with. He, he completed that. Now we're just trying to sort through the uh, NC2A. Is he not able to practice? Oh, he can practice. Yeah, he can practice. Would not be allowed to compete in games just yet. But we still have a couple weeks to try to get it sorted out. Hopefully it gets sorted out before week one. So how optimistic are you about that? Oh, uh, I think it's going to work out, but there's no guarantee. How about that? So I think we feel like we got a good shot. But you never, with the NCAA, you never know. You just got to, you know, you have to, you got to get them everything they request, all the, the information, all the documents, then they look at it and make their decision. So how good is that position group if he can't go? It's good. We feel like we got an offensive line group that is deeper than it's ever been. There's just very little experience. I think that offensive line in years to come is going to be tremendous, but we got to get through the learning curve right now. And that's, that's what we're doing. Is this the fastest secondary group that you've ever had here at Utah? Uh, probably so. You know, we got the fastest, maybe the fastest guy in all of college football in Javelin Guidry. He's a uh, blazing speed. 100-meter uh, state champ in Texas, 100-meter state champ in California in high school. And uh, if you follow the little track thing he did in spring, he, he showed up very well there. So you put him there, Jalen Johnson, who's got blazing speed. Julian Blackman's fast. 
Terrell Burgess, to Travis, yeah, the Oklahoma State champ. So I'd have to say if we had a track team made from those guys, we'd do pretty well. You've got three really proven defensive ends in Mika Max and Bradley, but how's the depth behind them looking? Good. We have two guys that are emerging, Fua Pututau and Miki Sukutaranga. And uh, both those guys are, well, Miki's a, a true freshman, Fua's a, a redshirt freshman, and both those guys are very promising. So we figure they're going to be four and five. Not, the order right now is not known, but they'll, they'll be number four and five. Three, three, three defensive tackles, how are they going to work out as far as their playing time? You got three starters back, basically. Yeah, yeah we got uh, and Vinny, uh, Viana Mawala is in that mix, too, who had to sit out last year, the transfer. So we got four, actually, that we're going to rotate through there, maybe five. But John, uh, Penasini, and Leckie will get the, the bulk of the reps, and they'll be supplemented with the, with the next two or three guys. And so, uh, you know, just a ballpark guess. If you have an 80 snap game, John and Leckie will probably play 45 or 50 of those snaps, and the other snaps will be divided up between the other guys. I know we ask about the receivers every day, but just collectively, what improvement is I like them. I really like them. The problem, not the problem, but the. The thing is, there's not one that's just separated himself and, and become the guy. But we got a bunch of guys that I think are going to perform in games and perform well. Uh, but we just don't have that go-to guy, that go-to guy that hasn't emerged yet that, you know, you put him on the backside of trips and he can beat anybody one-on-one, you know, whenever you need him to. That, that guy has not emerged yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we got some candidates, Paul, Moala, or Paul Tuala and uh, Johnny Maia are the two guys right now that are closest to battling for that fifth spot. Not to say someone else couldn't emerge, but right now that's the, the two that are vying for that spot. So to get back to the wide receiver's point here, so even if you don't have a, a quote-unquote star there, do you have guys who when they get the opportunity, one-on-one -on -one coverage because you're running back and the running game demands so much respect, will they make big plays, first downs, touchdowns? We hope so, and we think that uh, you know we got six or seven of exactly those kind of guys. Between uh, Solomon Enos and Covey and Jalen Dixon, who's really emerging as a deep threat, he emerged last year as a deep threat. Um, Demari Simpkins, uh, Samson Nakua, um, Derek Vickers is having a nice camp. So yeah, we have, we feel like we've got a group that uh, rotate through a bunch of guys and really have no drop off. So, and hopefully they make plays. Right on, right on, go use. There's Kyle Whittingham and before Kyle, Kalani Sataki. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, get more football. We'll do that. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, how about a little football with Mike Pulaski? We'll do that. The Cal quarterback turned Cal broadcaster. And he's next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK and Mike Pulaski join us at Cal Bears radio analyst is on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Mike, good morning. Good morning. I love the fact that I'm a special guest, or is that for everybody that comes on? No, no, you're way more special than the other. Only, only quarterbacks <laughs> are special. 
That's right. That's what they tell us all the time. They have to to keep us happy. (laughs) So as an ex-quarterback, and I actually worked in Sacramento when uh, the Bears and Bruce Snyder was coaching, and you were quarterback, and you had that big 10-win season, and there are uh, you know not a lot of 10-win seasons in Cal Bear history. So it looks like you're building something with this defense, but at the same time, you're a quarterback, and man, a 10-7 game, a 12-10 game. You were watching some low-scoring football. Is that going to change? Well, you hope it changes. As a quarterback, it you know it hurt my soul last year for some of those games. Uh, I think people that love watching defensive football are the ones that have kind of that punishment, you know, fetish going on. They they, they like that that the the hard-hitting stuff and all that. I like offense. I, I want to sell tickets. I like watching the ball fly down the field. And so Cal is, has been a. A, an offensive team and known for its quarterback play and its receiver play for years, and I'd like to see them get back to some of that. Um, that now that said, the defense is going to be phenomenal again this year, so we'll see what turns out. But I was just in the the office yesterday, and I was talking with offensive coordinator Bo Baldwin, and he seems really happy with Chase Garbers right now. I think Chase has come a long way. Uh, he's maturing to a point where he's understanding the offense better, and that always bodes well, but they're going to have to see what kind of tools he has around him as well. All right, well, that was going to be my question. Garbers played last year as a freshman. I think he was, so he's a sophomore. We know Monster came up from Westwood. And so what you're saying is Garbers is the undisputed starter. Is that the accurate uh, portrayal? Yeah, so Garbers got the nod out of spring that, you know, he was a starter going in. Uh, he played well enough last year to retain it uh, going in. And I, I think that position, there's always a competition. Uh, if, if coaches are doing the right thing by their team, then there's always a competition at that spot that the guy has to earn it. And I think Chase has to earn it, but he's, he is in the number one slot uh, in camp so far and hasn't been unseated by anybody. So if you look at some of the stats, I mean, they were just unbelievably low. How much of this is on the quarterback to improve things? Because in an era where you want completion percentage, certainly over 60, but a lot of coaches want up over 65, seeing a lot of 14 of 26, 15 of 26. Is it, is it on quarterback performance, or is there other things that factor in here to get the offense going? Well, I, I kind of explain to people all the time that had Joe Montana played for Cincinnati, nobody would remember his name. And it's not that he wasn't a great quarterback. It's that they didn't, wouldn't have had the franchise around him. And so oftentimes the quarterback gets all the blame. Um, sometimes a lot of it's warranted. I think last year with Chase, some of it was warranted. There were, there were times when there were reads and there were throws available to him that he missed. And I think the game was happening a little bit too fast for him. And so I think now being a little more mature, being able to see a year on tape to look at you know performance, hopefully now he can change that part of the game and, and the game won't move so fast. Um, that said, uh, it wasn't all on him. You know there were some protection issues. There were they they you know Patrick Laird was great, but they weren't able to run the ball all the time. And so you have to have all those facets of the game in order for your quarterback to truly look like a good quarterback. Um, and you can't do it by yourself. But but a lot of Chase's woes last year had to do with the way he was reading and either not delivering the ball, he had some hesitation last year, or not getting his reads right. And so I think if he grows through that, if he matures through that, and is able to come back this year, he has all the physical tools. I mean, he can throw it, he can run it, he can do it all. Uh, good leadership qualities. And so I think he can be a very good quarterback. He just has to get through that understanding the game at the college level and reading at speed. 
So you already brought up Patrick Lair, and we know he was a phenomenal story and had some pretty good production, maybe not as much as last year or the year before, but nevertheless, he's gone. And you talk about how they had trouble running the ball. So with, uh, I think they've got two offensive linemen back, how are they going to be able to run the ball this year? And is Christopher Brown going to be their featured guy? Well, so a couple questions there. It always starts with the O-line. And so if you're going to be able to run the football, if you don't have an O-line, that doesn't matter. You can want to run the football all you want, but you need the big guys up front, uh, especially in the pack where you always have good athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And so uh, I talked to Coach Wood the other day, offensive line coach for the Bears, and he feels really comfortable with the guys he's got up front right now starting. He likes his guys. He thinks they're doing a good job. They're very consistent. And so that bodes well for the running game. And then you have a couple of – New running backs, Chris Brown, not new per se, but we haven't seen a lot of him. Uh, and then you have Collins behind him who's come in. And I think that those two guys, the one-two punch of those two backs, uh, is going to be effective for Cal if that offensive line group up front stays solid. Again, you know, depth at that position is huge, and you have to have it to get through it. You know, Washington loses a star left tackle last year, but they're able to replace him. And so they go on to win the conference championship. You have to be able to replace guys as they go down because that position rarely stays healthy all season long. Uh, but they're starting guys right now they like a lot. And then the running backs have shown a lot of promise in camp. Mike Pulaski joining us, Cal Bears radio analyst, former Cal Bear quarterback. Now, you mentioned the J.C. transfer to Sean Collins. Uh, yep. Cal doesn't have Stanford's academics, but Cal has really strong academics. Getting J.C. transfers in and, and getting help with it, admitting kids has been an issue over the years. You know, coaches will say, get help with admitting kids, and other people will hear, they're lowering standards, they'll do anything to win football games. So where's the, <laughs> where's the balance currently on campus and how how much are the coaches' hands tied? I mean, they, they see a kid, the kid wants to go there, but it just can't happen. Well, you know, it's a, it is an excellent academic institution. And so they had a task force a few years back that uh, implemented some rules that made admissions even tougher. Uh, and by, by the new admission standards from the task force, uh, there were several players that I know of that went on to work on their master's degrees and their business degrees while they were playing football at Cal as graduates that wouldn't have been admitted. And so I think as a coach, you have to take it on a player-by-player basis. There are certain guys who have all the tools in the world to be able to play the game and you know do the classroom work as well and do it well, but maybe didn't apply themselves in high school. And you just have to be able to take it from that standpoint. And when you have you know those kind of kids, then you fight the good fight. The university, in the end, will always win um, because they're the controlling and governing body, and admissions will always win. But the coaches can fight their good fight to try to get their guys in. So I look at this defense, and particularly in the defensive backfield, I'm not sure who's the best player. I go with Bynum. I mean, there's just one stud after another. And they had, I think, 21 picks last year, which was second in the country. So I'm expecting, as good as it was last year, to be at least as good, if not better, this year. They're going to be better. They're going to be better. You have a group, you know, you point out the secondary, right? You've got Cam Bynum. You've got Davis. You've got Hawkins. You've got Hicks at the other corner. And so you're starting four DBs are back. And Ashton Davis at that safety position, I think, is an All-American. 
Um, you know, he just, he's just an absolute stud. But that's not to diminish Hawkins because Hawkins is also a guy who is a star at that position. Both those guys will play in the league. And so they're just really good. They're great at corner. And then your nickel and your dime guy are both back too. So you literally have six starting DBs all back, which rarely, if ever, happens. So they're great there. You step down to that linebacker position and you have Evan Weaver, who's a preseason All-American. Absolute stud. Now you lose Jordan Kanashik, who's a very good football player, uh, playing in the league right now. Uh, But then Dane comes in and he is now stepping in at that other linebacker position. On top of that, Cam Good, who a lot of people may not know about, but he was really, at the beginning of last season, the best linebacker on their staff. Yeah, he had knee injury, and he got didn't an injury. he? Yeah. yeah, and he got an injury. And so you don't, you don't know a lot about him. He's back and healthy. And then what you add to it, and this is what really helps boost this defense, which, which is going to make it just an elite defense, is that defensive front was really young last year. Luke Beckett was young. Tevin Paul was young. DeAndre Johnson was just getting his feet underneath him. A lot of these guys that, that are going to be really good football players were just fresh faces. Now those guys have some experience, and they're back. And so you're going to get more rush, guys who are more sophisticated and understand the defensive sets better, understand the schemes better, understand what their coaches want better, and have all played together for a year. And so that defense is going to be one of the elite defenses in the country, uh, which will give that offense room to grow. So you mentioned Evan Weaver. He had 159 tackles in a 13-game season. That is off the charts. I mean, that's averaging 12 to 13 tackles a game. So when he only has 9 or 10 tackles, he's got to have like 15 or 16 to make up for it. Uh, and and how- what you have to remember is Kanashik had just as many tackles at the other linebacker, too. So it was the, it was the top tackling duo in the country. So Evans getting all those tackles, but Kanashik was getting his too. It wasn't like you know they just featured Weaver. Both of those guys were making tackles, and so it, it, it's pretty special. And, and the knock on Weaver that people who haven't watched him play said, "Oh, we can't play sideline to sideline." I'm telling you what, this guy can run from the coach's box to the coach's box on both sides. He's incredibly smart. He is in the old throwback model of that nasty middle linebacker, uh, which I like. I love seeing that on defense. And he's a good team leader. And so he's just he's a phenomenal player on the defensive side of the ball, a great leader for that team, and a guy that sets the tempo and sets the tone because he sets expectations on that side, and those guys want to live up to it for Evan Weaver. So we've seen here at Utah Kyle Whittingham implement a defense year after year that's just been pretty good. This year it's expected to be exceptional. And conversely, him being a defensive guy, the offense is left a little bit to be desired and it's conservative and whatnot. And we expect maybe with the expectations that they have this year to be the same. Now I'm looking at Cal. Wilcox, a defensive guy himself, comes off as a you know somewhat of a tough guy like Kyle does. And as far as the offense, Bo Baldwin at Eastern Washington lit it up. Not so much here. I look at the stats last year. When they were plus in turnovers, they won all five games. And when they weren't, they obviously they didn't. And so with that in mind, what are you expecting as far as them opening it up this year? Or with that knowledge of the defense and the turnovers, do they even go more conservative? Well, I don't think they can go more conservative. <laughs> that would be tough to do. The, uh, I, I think Justin 
will do what his offense allows him to do on that side of the ball. If he feels comfortable that they can throw it and they can get after it, then he'll do it. You know, he, he coached under Coach Pete a lot. Um, and, you know, Coach Peterson is definitely an offensive guy, loves great offense, but has great defense around it. Um, Coach Peterson is obviously more of an offensive guy. Justin's more of a defensive guy. And it's funny how those defensive guys, how, how their teams kind of evolve with that defensive mindset first. It would be great to get to a point where you have balance because balance is what makes great teams great. You know, you can have a Baltimore Ravens every now and then that can win a championship on defense, but you can't do it all the time, especially not in college football where you're seeing different sets all the time, different game plans all the time, uh, different personnel. And so it, it would be great if they could get to a point where they're really good on defense, which they obviously are, but then they have an offense um, that can not just support that, but that can play alongside of that defense. And are they going to be there this year? I don't know. They're still young. They've got to find some spots. You know, they've got to find some receivers uh, that have to make plays. They've got to kind of figure out who they're going to be this year. But it would be good to have an offense that could show up as well as the defense does. And if you do that with a defense that Cal has, you know, this is a 10-win team. Ten wins, man! That sounds awesome. <laughs> it, al- it, it also is. it also sounds really <laughs> difficult in the North, go because it looks like four programs in the North are on top of their game, and that doesn't count, you know, Old Miss and and the crossover games. Got to play Utah, obviously, who's supposed to have a good year. But those four teams in the North, how daunting does it look the way those programs stack up right now? Well, Washington is always good, right? I'm, I am a huge fan of Coach Peterson up at Washington. I just think he does the right things, not just from a coaching standpoint, but from a mentality and an accountability standpoint. I think he expects the right things of his guys, and I think he demands it and gets it. And so Washington's good. They have great chemistry there. Um, Coach Pete's done a great job there. Oregon, you know, they're athletic. There's no doubt about it. I want to see it on the field. I want to see them actually show up and do it on Saturdays. Um, and then I'll believe that. So I think they're pretty good. Stanford is always, always going to be tough. Um, they're just, just a physical, tough, grinded out football team. Um, and that, that's, I think that's a team that Cal matches up well against, obviously, with good defense. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a struggle as well. And then um, oh, Washington State, of course, right? That's a team that everybody always wants to forget. I was actually just texting back and forth with Mike Leach the other day. Uh, he's a good friend, and, and he thinks they're going to be really, really good this year. And I, and I agree with him. He finds a way to bring the most out of his players and build chemistry on his teams. And so I love the way he coaches. I love his style. I love his demeanor. I obviously love his press conferences. Um, and so it's just, it, you know, it's a, it is a tough conference to be in. It's a, it's a tough uh, division to be in. You know, it's murderer's row going to the north this year. Uh, and then playing Utah. You know, Kyle's always got his team doing the right thing and playing good, great defense. Uh, it's it's and he always played the two LA schools, so you never know what's going to happen there because there's natural rivalries. But again, you know, in this in the conference, you can kind of dictate your own future by how hard you play. Cal has a great defense. If their offense can pick it up, they can be really successful. And and it's going to come down to that because they have a proven defense that's going to be as good if not better this year. So it's, it's up to the offense to come along and to start making plays. Uh, and, you know, and that's on, on Bo Baldwin. Bo, I love Bo as a person, fantastic guy. But college, produ- college is all about production as a coach. And so he's in the last year of his contract this year, has to produce. 
Um, like I said, I was just talking to him yesterday. I consider him a friend. He has to produce this year. That offense has to produce, and they have to find a way to do it with the guys they have. So Cal averages 24, yeah, 24 points a game. If that's the case, how many wins do they get? Oh, if they average 24 points a game? Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll win. If they average 24 points a game and don't win eight, um, you could have my car. I mean, <laughs> that, that defense is going to be shut down this year. I mean, it, they are going to be hard to score against. That's going to be one of the games that people come out of and go, wow. They are, I mean, th- that was a ridiculously good defense. So we're going to see 3 nothing here in Rice-Eccles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in overtime. Oh, man, there is a good chance of a defensive football as a broadcaster drives me crazy. <laughs> hey, that was a nice two-yard run. You know, how do you call that game? It's horrible. But uh, it does win championships, and there's no, no lie about that. Mike Pulaski joining us. He is Cal Bears radio analyst, former Cal quarterback. So I'm curious here, uh, the rivalry between all the California schools, they're all different, uh, but they're all interesting. Cal plays USC November 16th. It's Cal's 10th game. What kind of shape is Clay Helton going to be in, in your opinion, week 10, if he's still there? How, how do you think that's going to Well, that's be? the question, right? It, it's USC has a big name, and to be a head coach there, you've got to win. And so, you know, I saw that USC team last year. They lacked discipline. Uh, they lacked belief. And I was shocked they didn't do something about the coaching position last year. And so if they get off to the same kind of start this year, if they get off to the same type of season, I don't know if Clay will be there in game 10. So he's got to do something special with that program. And uh, USC being what it is, it's not always easy to pull that team back, right? Those guys were all the all-stars in high school. They were all the stars of their team. You know, they were the, the marquee of their high school teams. And it's not always easy to pull a team like that back into a cohesive unit. And so we'll see. You know, the beginning of the season always brings belief. But then once you run into that Pac-12 buzzsaw, it can change things for you. And you start to recognize, hey, wait, we're, you know, maybe we're not a marquee team anymore. And with the Washingtons and the Stanfords of the world out there, and you know, Utah will, will feed you your hat in a hurry. Um it's, it's going to be tough for him. So we'll see game 10. I think Cal's got, always got something for him. I think they do a nice job against USC, obviously winning down at the Coliseum last year. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. If Clay is there, uh, Cal will definitely give him a rough game. What kind of wheels are you driving? I got a truck. Are you looking for it? You thinking it's not going to be an eight-win season? Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. I just, I, I just I just want to know. And if, if it's the case, I don't know where you live, which airport is closest. Oakland. Just fly on out. Okay. It's okay. an easy drive right out 15. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to talk to you. There's Mike Pulaski, the former Bears quarterback now, the Bears broadcaster. Really not enjoying those 12 to 10 games and those two-yard carries. Break that down for us. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.